Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Pilgrim's Progress, a study in the books of First and Second Peter. Here's Pastor Nick. Welcome once again to Whitefields Community Church. We're so glad that you're with us this morning to worship the Lord and to study His Word. You guys having a good week? I've been looking forward to this week because it's uh, bye week for the Broncos, which means they can't lose, which is really, really nice. So at least it won't be a bad week, right? But uh, please open with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, it's in your New Testament. It's uh, one of the general epistles, so it comes, uh, goes in this order. You got Hebrews. Then you got James, then you got First Peter. So if you find Hebrews, one of the bigger books in your New Testament, go to Hebrews and just go to the right two books. Hebrews, James, First Peter. And that's where we're at, First Peter, chapter three. We're in a series right now where we've been studying verse by verse through this letter from Peter to the Christian church at his time, and of course, from God to us. And so we're in chapter three as we're studying consecutively through these verses and through this book. And we're going to begin this morning by reading our text, which comes from chapter 3, verses 8 through 18. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing." For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we come to it this morning, Lord, we desire to come with just humble, open, receptive hearts. Lord, make us, we pray, receptive to your word and responsive uh, to your word. So, Lord, we pray that all of these things that you have to say to us, Lord, may we hear them, may we understand them, may we receive them, and may they be put to practice in our lives for your glory and for our good and for your work through us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been wronged by someone. You don't have to raise your hand because I know that that's all of us. Have you ever been wronged? Have you ever felt that you were slighted by someone or someone, you know, did you wrong or or hurt you? Have you ever had a sharp disagreement with someone where you believed that you were in the right and they were in the wrong? At some point in your life, you are going to face a situation like that, and I'm guessing that all of us have faced many situations like that. But at some point in your life, whether 
If you haven't already, you will. At some point, you will be on the receiving end of what you feel is injustice and pain and hurt, uh, hurtful actions on, on the part of someone else. At some point in your life, you will find yourself in a conflict or a disagreement where you believe that you're right and the other person is wrong. And what do we do in those situations? I mean, this is so practical, isn't it? This is something that we all deal with all the time. So what do you do, do in those kind of situations? How should we respond in those situations where we feel that we have been wronged? Well, here in 1 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter is writing to Christians about how to deal with conflict and how to respond when somebody wrongs you. And what Peter has been saying throughout this letter, what he's been doing throughout this letter, in every situation, every issue that he talks about, he is pointing us back to Jesus. He's pointing us back to Jesus over and over. So whether he's talking about how to live in your marriage, whether he's talking about how to respond or how to relate to your boss or to the government or to any authority in your life, in every situation, very practical, real-life situations that he's been talking about, in every case, what he does is he points us back to Jesus. But here's the thing. He doesn't just point us to Jesus as our example. Because a lot of people say, yeah, Jesus, you know, there's actually a word for this in theology. We say, Christus exemplar. It means Christ, our example. But we, we would say, and Peter would say, Jesus isn't just your example. He's more than that. He's also the one who gives you the power to, in this case, be right and do right even when you are wronged. So he's not only our example, but he is our power to do these things. Peter's talking about real life situations, and he's showing us how the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done to save us and to bring us to God, how that empowers us to live differently. The gospel empowers us to live differently in a way that leads to true joy. And as we journey through this life on our way to our ultimate home, our heavenly home. The title of today's message is How to Be Right When You're Wronged. How to Be Right When You Are Wronged. And there are three key things that Peter points out to us in this passage that we're going to see as we walk through it. We're going to see three key things. So this is our outline. Number one, the test the test of love. Number two, the paradox of the Christian life. And number three, the power to do these things. So the test, the paradox, and the power. Let's start by talking about the test. First of all, some context for you. Peter is writing to Christians who are spread out throughout the Roman Empire. And the occasion for him writing this letter is that in the year 64 AD, there was a great persecution that began in Rome and then radiated out from Rome to the entire Roman Empire in which uh, Christians were being persecuted. They were, their homes were being plundered. They were being attacked. Some of them were being killed even. And Peter was living in Rome at this time, the epicenter for this great persecution. And he knew that this persecution was going to spread out like when you throw a rock in a lake, right, in the ripple effect and it spreads out from Rome. And so Peter's writing from the epicenter of this persecution in the midst of this difficult situation. And he's writing to people who either are suffering and have suffered or who are about to suffer. And he wants to write to them in the midst of this situation and remind them of the hope that they have in Jesus because of what he did and who he is. The hope that we have because of what Jesus did for us. But he also wants to talk about how we are to live in light of the gospel in the face of every situation, even the most difficult situations that life might bring your way. 
And throughout this letter, Peter has been reminding us, and by the way, our title of our series is Pilgrim's Progress, because throughout this letter, Peter has been reminding us that if you are a Christian, to be a Christian is to be a pilgrim and a sojourner here on this earth. What that means is that this world is not our home. In Jesus, we have received citizenship in heaven. And for us as Christians, right, this world is no longer our true home. We're just passing through. This isn't our final destination. We're on our way to our true home, our final destination that awaits us where things will be right, finally, because of what Jesus did for us to redeem us. And yet, though our hope is in heaven, here's the thing, our feet are here on the earth, aren't they? So our hope is in heaven, but our feet are here on the earth. And what that means is that God has a purpose and a calling for your life here and now. If he didn't, he would have taken you out of here already. But the fact that he's left you here means this, he has a purpose and he has a calling for your life. Your life here matters. There are things that he wants to do in you and through you, through your life here on earth. There are people who he wants to reach through you so that they will know his love and grace also. There are people, um, you know, who God wants to bless through you. So to be a Christian is to understand this, that you are a sojourner, but you're not just a sojourner. You're a sojourner on a mission. So to be a Christian is to be a sojourner on a mission. You're here for a limited amount of time. This isn't your final destination. This world is not where your hope lies. But for the time that you are here, it's very important. God has a very important mission and calling. You are on assignment. And so having that mentality, those two things, understanding that you're a sojourner, but you're on a mission, that absolutely changes the way that you live. See, it means that this world is not your home, but the way that you relate to this world is not as a tourist. It's not as a prisoner but it is as a missionary, not as a tourist, not as a prisoner, but as a missionary, right? A tourist, when you go somewhere as a tourist, you don't put down roots, you don't make connections, you don't invest in that place long-term because you know that on Thursday, you're gonna get on a plane and go back home, right? When you're a prisoner, you can't wait. You're just biding your time, you know, counting the days until you can get the heck out of here. But no, we're not here as tourists. We're not here as prisoners. This, this world is not a prison for us, no. This world is not our home, but we are here as missionaries. That's what Peter wants us to know. And throughout this letter, Peter has been speaking to us about how to live as missionaries in this world. And he begins this section in verse 8 by saying this. Finally, which is kind of funny because we're still only in chapter 3. Such a preacher, right? Like, this is my last point, maybe, right? So finally, uh, in verse 8, he says, All of you have unity of mind. Have unity of mind. So when it comes to how Christians should relate to one another, Peter says, have unity of mind, or as some of your translations say, be of one mind. Be of one mind, all you guys together. How do we do that? How do we be of one mind? How do we have unity of mind as a diverse people? It's super easy. You guys, you know what you have to do? Here's how you do it. Wherever you and me disagree, you just have to change your mind, right? So there you go. And then then we'll have unity of mind, right? Because I'm right and you're wrong. So if you and I disagree, simple, problem, simple solution. You change your mind and think what I think, and then we'll be of one mind. Problem solved, you're welcome, right? Now, isn't that how so many of us think? Isn't that how so many of us function? Yeah, sure, I'd love to be of one mind with all these people, as long as they change their mind and they share my opinion. Then we can all be of one mind. But otherwise, of course not, because they're stubborn and uh, they need to do what I think, right? See, uh, it's easy to be of one mind with people who think just like you, people who act just like you, people who you even like. It's easy to be of one mind with people that you like. Here's the real test, because that's our main, that's our first point, isn't it? The test. 
Hi everyone, Pastor Nick here, inviting you to join us on Easter weekend this year as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, our Savior. Easter weekend begins on April 7th with Good Friday. We'll have two Good Friday services at 5 and 6.30 p.m. Then on Resurrection Sunday, join us at 6.15 a.m. for sunrise service. We have a beautiful location on our church property to watch the sunrise as we worship and celebrate. After sunrise service, we'll have three Easter Sunday services at 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. Bring your whole family and invite a friend to celebrate the good news that has changed the world and which can change your life personally. Our church is located at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information and directions, visit whitefieldschurch.com. Now, back to today's message. Here's the real test. The real test comes when you have a conflict or a disagreement. You can't even talk about Christian love until we talk about conflict. See, see, what does it mean to be a one mind? One mind, the, the mind that we are all to have. Whose mind? My mind or your mind or somebody else's mind? No, there's one mind that we are to have. It's what Paul the Apostle calls the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. So I'm not looking to, to force my mind on you and you're not saying, hey, you have to have my mind. No, we're both saying, you and me both need to share one mind, the mind of Christ. Paul the Apostle says this in Philippians chapter two. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in all of you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to explain what that mind was like. And Peter does that same thing for us here too. But let me just say this. This is why we study our Bibles, right? This is why we need to be in the word so we can get to know the mind of Christ as much as possible so we can conform to it and have it. And so Peter goes on in verse, uh, the rest of verse 8 to describe to us what it will look like for us to have the mind of Christ. And here's what he says. The mind of Christ is characterized by these things. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. You know, think about an orchestra. In an orchestra, you have a lot of people playing different ways, different instruments, but they're all playing the same piece of music. They're all in harmony. Think about a choir. You know, with a choir, you have diverse voices, everybody singing with their own tone, with their own voice, and yet they're singing the same piece of music. They're in harmony with each other. That's what we're talking about. So when Peter says, be of one mind, he's not talking about uniformity. He's talking about unity. There's a difference between unity and uniformity. And he's telling us, I want you to be unified, even if you're not uniform. See, it, it means that as Christians, we are to be committed to each other in brotherly love. That's what he says, brotherly love. So that means we're committed to each other, even when we have conflicts and when we don't see eye to eye. Here's what we do. When we have a conflict, we don't give up on each other. We don't throw up our hands and quit, right? When you have a conflict with someone, you don't just take your ball and go home. But that, that's, the, that's the tendency of so many of us. It's the tendency of our culture. It pushes us to do this and respond these ways. Throw up our hands. I quit. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm through with you. You offended me. I'm out, right? I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. Rather, look at what Peter says in verse 9. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. See, Jesus told us this. He said, all the commandments, all the commandments in the Bible they're all summed up in two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On those two things hinge all the law and the prophets. Two things, love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Super easy to do, right? 
But you know when it's hard? You know when it's hard to love your neighbor? When you feel that your neighbor has wronged you. When you feel that your neighbor, when you have a disagreement, when you have a conflict. See, it's easy to love people who love you. That's easy, right? The test, the test comes when you have a conflict, when you have a disagreement, when you don't see eye to eye, when you feel that that person has wronged you. See, it's easy to be committed to people who are nice to you. It's easy to be committed to people who agree with you. The great challenge to loving others comes when you feel that you've been wronged or when you feel that somebody else is wrong. Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter six? He said this, if you love those who love you, whoop-de-doo, right? That's, that's a, my own translation, right? If you love those who love you, well, golf clap for you, right? Like, congratulations. Everybody does that. There's nothing special about that. Everybody loves people who agree with them. Everybody gets along with people who agree with them. Everybody who loves people who treat them well, there's nothing different about that. There's nothing special about that. The worst people in the world do that. The real test comes when you have a conflict, how do you respond in those cases? That's when we, we need to talk, right? You say, you know, for example, you know, if I say, hey, you've wronged me or I disagree with you and now I'm done. I'm out of here. Goodbye forever. Where is the love in that? There, there isn't. Where's the commitment to relationship? If, if whenever you're faced with a conflict, you just bail. The attitude of, of throwing up our hands of saying, I'm out of here. It's so common in our culture. Our modern culture here in America, you know how it's been described? The age we live in has been called the age of outrage, right? A cult, we have a culture of outrage. People are always, you know, what's the thing that we're outraged about this week, right? We're so quick to get upset and write people off. And as a result, our society has become fragmented, hasn't it? We no longer talk to each other because you're like that and I'm not talking to you anymore and I'm out of here and I'm gonna go hang out with these people, right? Our society's become fragmented and polarized. You know, one, there's this thing in online gaming. I'm not an online gamer, but somebody was telling me about this. So uh, online gaming, this thing called rage quit, right? Some of you might know what that is. Like, so you play these big online games. You have a lot of people playing together online. And so what happens, somebody rage quit means that somebody like gets mad at somebody else on the team and they just quit and they shut all down the whole game. And then everybody who's logged into that game automatically gets booted out because the person who organized it, um, you know, got mad and left. And so nobody can play anymore. And it's so common, right, in our society. It has, it's so common that it has a name. It's called rage quit. So something happened and you don't like it, so you quit. Right? So listen, real Christian love isn't even put to the test until there's a conflict, until there's a dispute. Real Christian love isn't even put to the test until there's a dispute. See, what makes the love of God so unique? Think about this. What makes God's love so unique? Here's what it is, that he loves us in spite of our sins, that he's committed to us in spite of our flaws and failures, in spite of our rebellion. What makes the love of Jesus unique is that when we were his enemies, Christ loved us and died for us and gave his life for us to serve us. See, that's the love that we've received. And that's also the kind of love that we've been called now to show to others in Jesus' name in the world. So that, that's our first point here. The test. The test. See, it's when you have a dispute, when you have a conflict, when you have a difference of opinion, when you feel like you've been wronged, that's when you're put to the test. How will you respond? How will you respond? Remember, 
Remember how relevant this would have been to the people who originally received this letter, the original recipients. They were wronged, weren't they? By the government, by their peers in society, by other people in their community. They were wronged because of their faith. And we even get the impression that there were some conflicts within the church, which, by the way, is not a surprise. Anytime you get flawed people together, even flawed people who are pursuing Jesus, you are going to have conflicts and disagreements. And so how do we respond when love is put to the test? How do we respond when love is put to the test? Peter tells us when it, when it comes to these kinds of things, conflicts, disputes, disagreements with other Christians, here's what we do. We stay unified. We stay unified. Here's what he tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. I love this phrase. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Think about that phrase, be devoted to one another. Devoted, right? Committed. I love that. It's an attitude that says, I'm not giving up on you. I don't like what you did. I disagree with you, but I'm devoted to you. Even if you're like a porcupine and every time I try to hug you, you stab me, right? I'm not giving up on you. I'm not going away. Rather than judging you, I'm going to respond with what? With sympathy. That's what he talks about, with sympathy, right? If you revile me, I'm going to bless you. And when it comes to people in the world who aren't Christians, what do we do? We're committed to them as well. People who don't follow Jesus, we're not going to give up on them either. As so journeys on a mission, here's what we do. We don't give in to the world, but we also don't give up on the world. We don't give in to the world, but we also don't give up on the world. So we're going to keep on loving. We're going to keep on blessing. Even if they revile me, we will bless them still. Why? Because there was a time in my life and in your life, if you're a believer, there was a time in my life when I was far from God when, and I treated God with contempt. I treated him as if he was my enemy. And yet, how did he respond to me? He loved me. He blessed me. He reached out to me. And now I get the privilege of doing that for other people and towards other people in his name. Do you know how to do that? Look again at verse 8. It says, with sympathy. Sympathy, right? Compassion. A tender heart. It means this. You understand this, this basic principle that hurting people hurt people. You know that, right? Hurting people hurt people. And so when you, when you look at someone in your life who's hurting you, you, you have sympathy, compassion, a tender heart. You say, you know what? I don't know what it is, but there must be something going on in their life that's causing them to act like this. Maybe I just need to pray for them, have mercy on them, be tenderhearted towards them. I don't know what they're going through, but maybe there's something, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. See, that takes humility, which is the last thing he mentions that list, doesn't it? Humility. Humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. Thinking of yourself less. It, it's, it means not being obsessed with your rights and what you deserve and making sure that everybody gives you exactly how you feel that you deserve to be treated. It means taking on the posture and the position of a servant who's there what? To do what? To get underneath other people and lift them up and help them succeed and move forward. See, Jesus told us that that, taking a posture of a servant, getting underneath people, lifting them up, that is the key to true greatness. And that is what Jesus himself modeled for us. See, here's the thing. If every time you have a conflict with someone, you just give up, right? You leave your job, you leave your church, you stop talking to those family members, you, right? If every time you have a conflict, you bail, right? Rage quit, and you, you're just, I'm out. You know what will happen? You will not grow. I'm not kidding. You will not grow. You will not grow. And here's why. Because you will not grow in love unless love is put to the test. And love isn't put to the test until you have a dispute and a conflict. 
C.S. Lewis put it this way. I love this quote in his book, The Four Loves. Here's what he said. He said this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. If you want to make sure that you never get hurt, here's what you should do. Never love anyone. If you want to avoid getting hurt, then fill your life with hobbies and avoid all entanglements. Lock your heart up safe in the casket of selfishness. But in that casket, your heart will change. It will not be broken, but it will die. To love is to be vulnerable. So this is a test. When you're wronged, when you have a disagreement, when you have a dispute with someone, what will you do when love is put to the test? How will you respond? Peter encourages us, here's how. Have the mind of Christ in you. Have the mind of Christ in you. Be committed to people. Refuse to pay evil for evil. Let God deal with them and you focus on loving. Isn't that freeing? You don't have to be the one to make everything right and be vindictive and, and make sure that everything is, is done, you know, that you get what you deserve. You can leave that to God and you are free to love radically and freely because real Christian love isn't even put into action until there's a dispute. Okay, let's talk about the next thing. So that's the test. Now let's talk about the paradox. Peter says at the end of verse nine, if you do this, if you bless those, those who hurt you, if you love those who aren't lovable, then you will, he says, obtain a blessing. You will obtain a blessing. In verses 10 through 12, Peter quotes from Psalm 34. He quotes from Psalm 34. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.